Hi, Chris. How are you? Good evening, Rod. Yeah, here we go. Episode 63 on the 4th of April. Yeah. Do you have any interesting April Fools that caught you out, or was it quite quiet this year? No, but a friend of mine, we're going on holiday tomorrow with them. They woke up and told their children they had COVID and they couldn't go on holiday this week as their April Fools, which I thought was fantastic. But no, I'd, I'd never really partake in it. I didn't really hear about any either. I don't know if that's just because I'm not on Twitter anymore and that seems to be where April Fool's manifested. How about you? Yeah, I didn't see many of them either. It was quite quiet this year. I think that's quite mean. <laughs> the kids there were telling them they got COVID and they can't go on holiday. But yeah, that's that's not bad. I, I did maybe hear a thing about some workers that were going to be laid off and they teased some companies teased them they were going to get laid off and they weren't. And then they actually laid them off. So these things can backfire really badly. You've got to be quite careful. I think threatening somebody's livelihood is not a good April Fool, is it? It's really not. It's something harmless like David Attenborough and his spaghetti trees once upon a time. I mean, that was a good April Fool. I don't think I know that one. You don't remember that one. He did a whole thing on BBC News. It was in the early days of BBC News in the morning where he did a feature from somewhere in Italy about spaghetti bushes. And they decorated all these bushes with spaghetti as if it grew on bushes. And lots of people were like, wow, is that where spaghetti comes from? I really didn't know. I didn't understand. That was a great one. Wow. Okay. All right. I'll let you have that one. Thank you very much. Into follow-up? Into follow-up. So You're I, up first. How was your Sonos? Yeah, I'm up first. So my Sonos 100 came. I'm rather impressed with my Sonos 100, I must say. To the extent that, and this is not for the benefit of anybody who's not on camera, one of the HomePods is now unplugged and just floating around in the house. It sounds terrific for what is a speaker that's not that much bigger than a HomePod Mini or something like that. The the quality of what it puts out is impressive. It actually needs a little bit of volume. It's not quite so good at about 10% volume, but once you get over that, it's definitely bassier. It's got a lot more definition. I mean, I'm not the biggest audiophile in the world anymore anyway. I've got tinnitus, but you know, I can hear a decent speaker when it, when it gets cranked up a little bit. That works really well. The swap-in replacement of saying, hey, dingus to that, as opposed to hey, dingus to the other thing, does all the things I wanted a HomePod to do in that I can set a timer, I can tell it to play a thing, I can tell it to play a playlist. It just works seamlessly. And so far, I haven't had a false positive from it or it just sitting there going, so sounds better, works better, looks better. I can't think of anything negative, really. That sounds pretty good. And I've got some HomePods in my kitchen. We had a friend over, an eight-year-old friend of my son's over having dinner with us. And the boy, they Johnny Cash, I don't know why. And, and this eight-year-old goes, who's Johnny Cash? And I goes, oh, you know, I'll, I'll play some Johnny Cash for you. Have you never heard Ring of Fire? Do you think I could get Siri to play Ring of Fire? Like a simple request. It was not happening. I tried to do it on my phone and send the audio to the speaker. It did not work. And I also set an egg timer to us. Can Siri set a timer for seven minutes? I can't do that. I can only set time, you know to go off at certain times of the day and so an alarm went off at seven o'clock this, this evening so i was getting slightly angry with them which i'm really gutted by because i love them and i want it to work so badly but yet it seems to be getting worse with age it's like a forgetful grandparent i i 100 agree with that i was listening to the external tech podcast this week and they had a bit of a whinge marco particularly had a bit of a whinge about having spent lots of money on new home pods and the sort of rate limiting step is Siri it might be the greatest hardware it might sound the best for the money etc etc but if your primary method of interacting with it is Siri and we know how bad Siri is you're on it's a non-star yeah and the problem I've got is I can't even push audio to it because it wouldn't let me do it for my so they probably just need a reboot but you shouldn't have to reboot them it should just work anyway it sounds like your Sonos is good maybe maybe I should try one maybe I'll 
keep an eye out if there's any summer sales coming or, or maybe it will even be Black Friday at the rate I'm going to be going. Well, it's a new product, so I wouldn't expect a discount anytime soon. What I would say is if you've ever had a Sonos and you log into your Sonos account, you might find they've actually given you a discount. So anybody with Legacy Kit, they went through this whole period of they weren't going to recycle, they were going to decommission these sort of original Play 3, Play 5 on those line of speakers. So they blanket applied a 30% discount on everybody's account. So if you go in, log in and hit upgrade, it might offer you, and you don't need to send anything back to them, even if you don't have the speaker anymore. You just get a discount applied. So it might be worth you having a look. Yeah, I should have a look. I used to have some Play 3s and 5s, so I'll put that on the list of things to do. Yep. Apple Music Classical, this will be you, I think. I, yeah, and I can't remember how much we touched on it last week. Or, yeah, it was last week. But what a rubbish service that is. I can see why they're not charging for it. The fact there's no apps for it other than on your iPhone is annoying, but I wanted to like it because I thought, you know, there are a few pieces I enjoy and I listen to a few things, but I got really annoyed with it. I put some things in my classical library, which is great. They're in the classical app. But then when you go into the music app, they're also in there. And it's like, no, I can't, I want two silos because I think that would work a lot better. It's the whole reason you've done a classical app is because you've said it's better if you split it out. So why are you now mixing the silos of music? And also, if you are downloading classical music, the settings are all under the music app in settings, not under classical, because it shares the library and shares the same settings. I just think they've really botched it in that there should be a, a button at the top goes, do you want to merge the yeah, you like or would you like them separated? Because I definitely want them separated, and it's really annoyed me. And I just think they've taken over a year and a half to do this. They were late by their own self-imposed deadline, and they don't seem to have done that much. I'm really disappointed. Yeah, I wasn't particularly impressed. I fired up. I had the same reaction to you. Is, is that it? The fact that there was already recommended songs in there for a lot of the soundtracks. I listened to an awful lot of soundtracks. I was okay with. I guess in some sense they are classical music. Different orchestras can do them, but. The John Wick 4 soundtrack, for example, I'd call rock and roll. I wouldn't call it you know, a piece of classical music in that sense. It's lots of guitars, it's people singing, it's all that kind of stuff. So fine, recommend a soundtrack to me. But why is it in the classical music app? That's not what I was expecting. I can understand a Hans Zimmer or someone like that being in there, but there is sort of a fine line between those things. And like you say, the cross-pollination from the main music app into the classical music app just seems off and wrong and, and, and the functionality isn't good. And then, to compound it, no iPad version, no Mac version, and you said to me you couldn't find a CarPlay version. There's no CarPlay version, so you have to use Apple Music in your car to listen to your classical. It it just feels like a really half-hearted effort. So something's obviously gone wrong because they've clearly got no vision for it, or maybe they have, but they've just struggled to, to get anywhere near it. But yeah, massively disappointed. I think that's what I'm going to go with. I can see why they're not charging for it because they can't, and they should have definitely done it as a whole they should just taken the apple music app file save as classical and duplicated everything and i think that would have been much better and a much better starting place and where does this end do we get a jazz app next seriously i mean i can understand breaking apart for classical music but if you're going to half what is it they say in the american podcast half butt this to such an extent that, that you do I, I don't i don't get it it's it's poorly implemented poorly thought out not not the right apps in place to use it haven't carried it effective separation of the libraries i'd call this an f frankly yeah it's rubbish that's all let's, let's just leave it at that it is just rubbish so anyway hopefully they will improve it they can't make it any worse surely but yeah massively disappointed right next up we spoke last week about belking iphone camera mount for desktops so this is a mount that you can put on the top of your 
your computer monitor. It doesn't have to be an Apple computer monitor. It can be any computer monitor. It allows for different depths. I went and got one because I was driving near the only Apple store that seemed to have them in the UK because they're out of stock in all the stores and they're out of stock online. But for whatever reason, I had a conference literally 10 minutes away. So, so I made the detour, got picked it up. So I've got this camera mount and actually it's pretty good. I'm talking to you on it now. And it is much better than the, spe- the, the camera that I've got built in. I'm not sure I love in the angle of it and it feels quite far back to reach the camera because it, it sits quite far back from the display. But other than that, I think it's really cool. It's a shame that you don't just plug the lightning cable into the mount and then the mount charges your your iPhone. That seems like a, a bit of a miss, like it should have just MagSafe built in or give you the option to buy your own MagSafe charger and just, you know, attach it somehow. You know, it just feels like a bit of a miss because I've now got a lightning cable sticking outside of my phone. But I think it's great. It does does what it says on the tin. And I'm going to use that from now on, so I've solved my camera problem. Fair enough, and and quite cheaply as well. I 100% agree. I I use a couple of the standard Apple MagSafe things in cars, just and plonk a phone on them when I'm charging them. All we needed really was a mount for a MagSafe charger, and this problem would be solved because you could just you know, magnetically attach your your phone to that. So it almost feels a bit overkill to have done it this way, and then leave the charging element of it out. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And like you said, it's the same with car mounts. But yep, no, it seems okay to me. But I guess if we did have a charger, it would cost another £20 or, or whatever it may be. There you okay. go. On to news then. On to news. So the first story is a little thing from 9to5Mac about the M2 chip production being halted for two months Apple after Apple warned of rough time for Mac. Slightly surprising. I'm, I'm really surprised. Apparently it's the first time they've had to do it. Really surprised because obviously the M2 is in the... Air, which seems super popular in the well, in the new MacBook Air, and obviously it came out in the new MacBook Pros. So yeah, we're really surprised that this is a thing because they seem really popular. But maybe everybody that was waiting for Apple Silicon bought last year, and actually there's just not that pent up demand this year. And obviously, you know, we are in in tighter times, and especially abroad from America, where the exchange rate is is actually causing a lot of inflation of prices. Because whilst Apple may be retaining the same price in the states. We aren't seeing a you know an increase in prices over here, but, but yeah, and quite significant by you know circa a few hundred pounds. So I wonder if if that's actually putting people off buying the new hotness. They're just a too expensive. Times are tight, and the majority of people have already moved to Apple Silicon because you can see it, especially in tech circles, people have already moved. Yeah, and we talked about this when the M2 came along. It's not that big an upgrade over the M1. It's it's a what is it, five to seven percent increase or something like that in speed? And given how happy we both are with the M1 chips and our, our laptops, then what is the compelling reason to upgrade to M2? I mean, fair enough, if you've got a job where five percent can make a huge difference to your build time or your video encode or whatever it is, then you're going to go out and buy that thing. But the rest of us may have only just bought these laptops, be very happy with them, be on that part of the upgrade cycle. Apple managed to evade the whole problematic downturn that the rest of the PC industry has seen. So I'm not entirely surprised there's limited demand. I mean, it's not like them to get their forecasts so wrong in this way. They're normally quite good at supply chain stuff, so that's surprising. The one thing that did occur to me, though, is that they say this is going to affect Macs, but there are M2 chips and iPads. Yes, that's a fair point. Actually, you've got M1 chips in the Airs and M2s in the Pro. So, yeah. But the Pro, though, was a massively underwhelming upgrade. You know, people like me that use an iPad every day who, you know, should be prime bait for an upgrade. I didn't go for it. And equally, when the M2 MacBook Pros came out, that's when I ordered my M1 one because I got a good reduction of a model that's probably been sat in a warehouse for six months. So, um, even I wasn't compelled to get the new M2 MacBook Pros. So, I think there wasn't a compelling reason. Most people are upgraded. 
and times are tight. So they're just not they're just not that compelling at the moment. You know, it'll be interesting to see if this means that they're going to change their plans this year for bringing out any M3 stuff or whether they delay any of it because do they need to rush on to the next chip? I don't know. Well, the stock market will want them to bring on the next thing and they'll have productions to do and they'll have, you know, the roadmap to follow. Because let's face it, the next generation of chips will be in the iPhone and the iPhone Pros will have the equivalent of the M3, I presume. So it's going to be sitting there. You're going to want to put it in laptops. And I think they botched the whole upgrade anyway. With It's a very uncomfortable situation where you've got an M2 MacBook Air, but you're still sitting on an M1 iMac and you've got M1 at Mac Studio, but not an M2 Mac Studio. There's, there's uncertainty in that whole line for me. And maybe the Mac Pro is screwing them up a little bit as well. So it's just, it's muddy. They need to sort out sort of how they're going to upgrade and then upgrade in lockstep. If you bring out an M3, the M3 should be in everything. You shouldn't just do, oh, we'll do this and we'll leave it six months for that. And it leaves consumers with uncertainty. That Some of the rumors are saying the M3 was going to be coming out come sort of July, August. So why would you buy an M2 if an M3 is literally around the corner? Yeah, and that is a problem, isn't it? If you're going to do the annual cadence, you're probably going to put people off upgrading as frequently and know when the good time will people hang on for special deals like I did. I, I don't know. I, th- I think it is a bit of a mess, but we need to see the whole line reach Apple Silicon probably in lockstep for the same generation of chips and then they should move on from there so let's let's see where we go from here absolutely so moving on first mobile call was apparently made 50 years ago tell me about this story it was just something i found on the bbc because i use the bbc quite a lot and i thought it was quite interesting because i didn't realize it was 50 years ago that the first mobile phone call was made if you'd have asked me I'd have said in the 80s, not in the early 70s. I, d- I don't know about you, but I just thought that was interesting. It was a lot longer than I'd anticipated. And yeah, it was made 50 years ago. I, th- I think it was on Fifth Fifth Avenue, I think I read that it was made. Just just quite interesting that that's when the first call was made. It's a long you time think? ago, isn't it? You think The phone, in some ways, still seems like quite a new invention. And, and the fact mobile phones have been around 50 years is just incredible. I do think of them as a product of the 80s. I remember I saw my first one in person was on somebody's boat. <laughs> and it was this huge thing with a car battery sort of attached to it effectively, you know, and a, a curly wire that connected the handset. And that's what the first sort of mobile phones were, I guess. And then they very quickly became to where they are these days. But lethal weapon, that kind of thing, when the cops and lethal weapon were talking on stuff, that's what I think of as the first mobile phone, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. I forgot about it. But I guess the 80s is when they became more prevalent and therefore that's what we associate them with. But yeah, just, just an interesting piece of trivia. If anybody's in a pub quiz and that comes up, now you know the answer. 50 years ago in 2023. Impressive stuff. Yeah, next up we got Italy banned ChatGPT. Did you see this? I did see this. I find this quite interesting. The whole country just decides to ban a piece of technology. That's interesting. That's that's quite a move to make. Yeah, it is interesting. And I wonder if it links back to a few weeks ago when we were talking a bit about this and people saying, is this, you know, like Terminator and Skynet? And, you know, is this going to become problematic? But like, it feels to me in the implementations that we're seeing in the wild where it's more something you query at the moment it's not thinking for itself but interesting that they've done it and i wonder if whether other countries are going to follow suit apparently germany are looking at it as well in the same sort of way as italy and have spoken to the italian data regulator to see what they've done and what their concerns are we we might talk about this as the show goes on because chat gpt is very much in the public imagination at the moment the problem with it is it's wrong (laughs) you know if you've got people relying on these things or starting to rely on it to do their jobs and it's wrong, and it's putting down incorrect facts. I queried it for a coding problem last week with a particular Python library, and the answer was impossible. The library it told you to import did not exist. So if people are trying to do these things and it's giving you just incorrect answers, you can understand why a governmental body might have a concern. 
Yeah, you can see it. And obviously it's unproven, unknown quantity. But then what happens if somebody, you know, if countries banned the internet back in the 90s when it was becoming more prevalent, what would the world look like today? So I'm a bit mixed on it, if I'm honest. I think, and I guess this is part of the problem. We don't know enough yet to make a good decision, but they've made a decision, you know, relative, I guess, of any more. I mean, I guess, though, if you live in that country, you want to explore it, you you install a VPN, we don't have any sponsors, but something like ExpressVPN, and uh, you just pretend you're from the UK and, and off you go. Yeah, it's easy enough to get around these kinds of things. And something like Tor or one of the onion routers or something like that will do exactly the same job without installing a VPN. So it's a very temporary problem to, to a problem. But I guess the wider industry needs to think about it. What they're going to do with these kinds of things? How do they treat them? If you look at the way TikTok is being sequentially banned around the world, in a fairly similar way to the way China sort of operationalizes the Great Firewall, they're doing the same sort of stuff, right? Chat GPT is not allowed, right? TikTok's not allowed. It's banned from government devices. And I think those of us in the who have the, who have the privilege to live in areas have slightly more open internet, and let's face it, in the UK we have some things banned as well. Then this it's it sets a dangerous precedent. You need to ed, you need to educate customers and consumers and the public about what the limitations of these things are as you understand them rather than just stopping them using it. Because we all know as soon as you stop somebody using a thing, interest in it doubles or triples or quadruples. Yeah, that's it. probably all they've done now is stoke the fire massively for something they were a bit unsure around. Whereas, like you say, scarcity makes it a lot more appealing all of a sudden. If it's just there in the background and you hear about it, I don't know, probably less likely to, to be concerned about it. But interesting to see, like I say, I, I can imagine a week or so when we record again, another country will have done the same. That's what That's what I think will happen. Yeah, that's my anticipation. Uh, next up was one I popped in there was just, for, for those who remember, Steve Jobs, what used to be the CEO of Apple, obviously, and birthed the iPod and the iPhone to us and obviously the Mac previously. But there's going to be an ebook coming out, a free ebook with, with some content from him, and it's from the uh, Steve Jobs archives. So it's just always interesting that it's a free ebook coming out. It seems, what was it, 12 years ago since he died? Because I think it was 2011, if I remember correctly. And so obviously that, that's going to come out, oh, I've forgotten the date now, later on this year. Yeah, I'll be interested in this one. I have, I certainly read the Steve Jobs Jobs biography, which was quite interesting reading. I don't think it was quite as revelatory as some of us might have liked. I mean, he's an interesting character, Steve. By no means a saint. You know, lots of things wrong with his management style. You could cast the odd rocket as maybe his treatment of his children and things like that as well. But to have come from, you know, to being adopted, humble beginnings, to to make the the dent in the planet in the way that he did as a businessman. I don't think you could really sort of say he did too many things wrong. No, that's true. He got a lot right, didn't he? And he got us to where we are now. And certainly brought design, you know, people caring about design of electronic equipment to the masses. Whereas, you know, I think pre-iPod and pre-iMac, what some of the things looked like that we had to interact with, they were not they were not as beautiful or as well-crafted as they are today. But, um, no, I just thought it was cool that something free has come in it would probably be quite interesting, probably worth a read. I assume you're able to get onto a Kindle or on your iPad. So yeah, that was it. Yep, interesting. We'll look out for it. The next story is fascinating to me. So this is General Motors in the United States confirming it's dropping Apple CarPlay and Android Auto from its 2024 EVs. This is really quite a startling decision. Yeah, and also why Google called their, their car services Android Auto or Android Automobile. And I think the automobile is the one that runs in the car and is the full, you know, computer that runs in your car. Whereas Android Auto is what you use, like CarPlay, to mirror your phone onto the screen. I think it's quite interesting. It sounds BMW are doing something similar 
in that they've announced that they're going to redo their iDrive and it's it's going to be Google based in the future. And I kind of get why car manufacturers want to do it, but I don't get why they would drop support for doing mirroring if your customer wants to mirror their device. Because for me, it would put me off because I love getting in my car. I don't have to worry about any of the system in the car. I barely use it. And I know that I can listen to my podcast for my podcast app. I can listen to my audiobook. I can listen to my music. I can use the maps. I've, you know, it's got all the addresses on it that I was looking at while I was sat at my desk, whether it was on my iPad or on my phone. Why am I then going to want to get in my car and it have that complete disconnect? You know, I think we've got to a really good place where, in essence, your car is connected to your phone. And I know your Tesla is a bit like this. But for me, I don't think I'd want to go back there. So I find it bizarre that they're going to go down this avenue. I get why they want to do it to maybe own the car space and have a better experience. But if they can do a companion experience, people would stop moving their phones anyway, potentially. So that's my view. Where are you at? Yeah, it's puzzling. I think if you're a manufacturer that already has this in place, why would you take it away? I suspect BMW may lose people as a consequence of of taking it out if they go ahead and do this too. It's something I miss in the Tesla. I, I would rather it had CarPlay because it's better than what's available within the Tesla. And that's often an argument is the, the manufacturers in Rivian are the same who don't offer Android Auto or CarPlay in, in their vehicles. But for most customers, it's something they look for. As you've just said, you've got all the stuff on your phone, you plug your phone in, the maps are up to date, you've potentially got live traffic on you, you've got all these kinds of bits and pieces, and you don't need to pay a subscription to the manufacturer of the automobile to, to, to keep those services going. So for example, on the Tesla, they really want me to pay t- 10 quid a month to keep the in-car cellular connection live so the maps are up to date and yada, yada, yada. I don't need to do that. I'm not going to do that now with the Tesla. So I think that I think it's very short-sighted of GM to do this. You look at other manufacturers that make use of Android Automobile, of which Polestar is one, this will let you have Android Auto and CarPlay as part of its implementation. So they've actually taken out a feature that Android Automobile runs on. And that's even more baffling to me. I suspect they just want to sell you the car and then sell you the subscription and then keep you very much inside of that world. And it will put people off, I think. I think they'll lose sales from customers. When we know iPhone customers have got money in their pockets, customers who have the money to buy these cars are going to go, well, I could have the Chevy Blazer or whatever it is that's going to be the first car that features this thing. Or I could go for a Lucid or I could go for something that supports the thing I want to have, like an ID4 or whatever an equivalent would be. I just think it's very short-sighted. I do. I think what what they've done, though, is they've enabled CarPlay and Android Auto. Various manufacturers have done this. And then they've lost people like me. I don't use any of their interface. I don't subscribe to anything they do because I just want to use what's on my phone. And I think they've already lost the dashboard in essence. And they're trying to get the dashboard back so that you're using first party stuff rather than third party in interface. That's why I think they're doing it. I think we just need to see how it unfolds. I'm, I'm curious to know with BMW though. So, so they've announced that they weren't going to be part of Apple's new CarPlay initiative, but yet they've obviously lent quite heavily into CarPlay and all the Apple features, as, as I've said before, but what they haven't announced, though, is where they will still support CarPlay mirroring. So there's two car- types of CarPlay in there that we're talking here. There's one where it's embedded in your car, in essence, and can tell you what your aircon's doing. And then there's the other CarPlay that we have today, which is I can just mirror my phone. So I'm curious to know what the future of that looks like for BMW. Because if it's just mirroring the phone, I'm quite comfortable with that. And that's what I use all day, every day. And I like it because I'm also going to get my wife's car tomorrow and drive. And it will look the same as getting in my car because it's the same interface. I really enjoy it from that. I had a rental car last week got into it it was a mini it was lovely and it just mirrored my phone all wirelessly and i was like this is it is fantastic and it's just like driving my car because i now have to choose the music i know how to use the maps so i really like it 
but I worry that the car manufacturers have lost the dashboard, hence why this is now a thing. Well, it's because they're rubbish at interfaces is why they lost the dashboard, let's face it. As soon as they went away from having knobs and switches and things for moving things around, and Volkswagen are a perfect example of this, they've lost the interface to the vehicle because people don't know what they're doing. Am I swiping this? Am I pushing that? And Android Auto and Apple CarPlay can offer you a more consistent experience that you're used to with your phone. And I've been in the same position as you. I remember hiring a car in Italy, not really knowing where I was going, plugging in my iPhone, bang, I had CarPlay up on the screen. It was the map I was used to. It converted all the units to the way I was familiar with. I had my music, my podcast, everything to hand. It was doing it in English and not Italian, so that was very helpful as well. If if The in-car thing would likely have been set to a language I'd have struggled with slightly. Perfect. I, I it's a I, I very much see this as a step backward. I understand why they're doing it to reclaim the dashboard to charge the subscription model, whatever it is. But I think it's short sighted in the long run that they've already lost this race. They're just trying to sort of walk the clock back a bit. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So anyway, I think we need to watch it and see what happens. I also want to see Apple bring out next gen CarPlay in an actual car. Apparently, it's coming end of the year. I'd like them, like I've said before, just to refresh CarPlay in mirror mode because I just think it could do with a lick of paint and be a bit more modern. But there you go. Should we move on? Let's move on. And this is just a short one that I thought was cool as much as anything else. So if you check in the show notes, this is actually an academic paper from chemistry, communications chemistry. And this is a bit of experimental research that says if you grind up a lithium battery, you can actually reclaim as much as 70% of the lithium in the battery. Now, that's really cool. That's proper recycling. If you think of the amount of things that have lithium in them these days and how rare earth a metal lithium is, I'm right in saying it's a metal, then this is a huge step forward in recycling potentially that we could make use of. So I just thought it was fascinating to do it. If all you read from the article is the abstract, you'll get, you know, presented technology achieves a recovery rate for lithium of up to 70% without applying any corrosive leachates or utilizing high temperatures. What a fantastic process to have discovered. And I think this is great for the... Uh, I definitely agree with everything you've said. I was a bit put off the article because I scrolled through it and I was like, well, all these equations that are going on here, feels like being back at university. But no, completely agree. This is fantastic. Like 70% of a rare earth metal, that's that's huge, isn't it? So yeah, it gets a thumbs up. So look at us with our, our green stories. We had the pool a couple of weeks back being heated by the data center and now we've got recycled lithium. So I think this is good stuff. Sustainability, dude, it's important. Moving on, moving on. I've been watching a few things on my shiny new TV and I think, wow, that's a bit dark. The latest season of Picard from Amazon is incredibly dark. I don't believe anybody could work on a starship, actually, when it was that dark. How would you find the controls? You'd be falling over all the time in the corridors. And I'm obviously not the only person that thinks this because this story is about how HDR actually makes everything darker and the linked article from The Verge is how to disable it on Disney+. Plus. You can actually see what's going on in some of the scenes. I don't watch a huge amount of Disney+, Plus, but I hadn't seen this i knew how to turn it off on my apple tv but super interesting because they want you to turn off dolby vision they're saying it struggles doing hdr under dolby vision which seems like surely it's just a standard spec oh, but the thing i noticed with hdr is the brights are very very bright so when you're in those apple menus and you've got white buttons on things it's blinding particularly if you've been watching something a little bit darker and it makes sense for the brights to be very bright. Obviously, your darks are going to be very dark, aren't they? So it is struggling a little bit with that. Some things are extremely dark. I mean, we're not talking Game of Thrones battle sequence where for an hour of television, nobody could see what was going on. And in fact, the filmmakers had to apologize. But I do find increasingly they look beautiful, but they're definitely quite hard to see some of the things that's going on. So I just thought this was interesting. No, it is interesting, and maybe I need to try out a bit more Disney on my on my big OLED and, and see what this, this looks like. Yeah, so that's more consumer advice, that you might want to switch it off if you're struggling to see what's going on. Oh, do we have to talk about the CMA again? 
I think we'll only briefly talk about the CMA, and I'm, I'm going to give my usual optimistic shout that we'll have a short show this week. So, this is a story from the Competitions and Markets Authority, who, if you listen to us, you'll be very familiar with by now, about Apple winning their appeal within the UK to dismiss the Safari antitrust probe because of a government mess-up. So, we actually reported on this a couple of weeks back. Apple thought they had a technical appeal in place because they'd missed a date, I think is what it was in that point. And, yep, that's been the case, that the, the appeal has been dismissed and Apple are free to go in this situation. I don't know what to say. It just sounds like a waste of everybody's time. I think that's what, what I'm going to go with. This is the bureaucracy going well, but they're they're not out of the woods yet, Apple, with this, because there's a similar case ongoing in the EU, and I think we'll struggle a lot more in the EU to get to get through this. So watch this space. It feels like they're going to have to do something with Safari anyway. I guess what they want is less people telling them what to do with it. So if they can get rid of the UK in this scenario, and then they've only got the EU telling them, it's probably better that it's just the EU giving them a, a mandate than both the EU and the UK. Yeah, and again, we touched on this when we talked about Microsoft last week. What is the power of the UK in this? All right, there's you know, 70 plus million people live in the UK, but that's nothing compared to America, South America, China. They're going to go where the really big people are when it comes to it. So it's more important they pay attention to what the EU does. And we'll probably benefit from that anyway in some way, or not benefit from it if that's the case. But yep, it is what it is. And then we've got to follow up. Google accused of willfully destroying evidence in Android antitrust battle. I'm not surprised by this. I mean, you, you see it all the time, don't you? Of, you know, I don't write anything down. People pick up the phone. And in this case, people are being diverted to use history off chats, i.e. where there's no login turned on. And I find this quite interesting. So I, I as we discussed before, I work for quite a large, large organization in the UK. We only actually keep chats for 30 days and then we delete them. And that's, that's part of our data retention policy, that all internal chats, you know, have a 30-day shelf life. But that's for everybody. We don't ever have any that are not recorded, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're a public traded company. You've got to have some evidence of the decisions that have been made, be that minutes of meetings or be that however your company is run. So you're going to, all that stuff should be admissible in some way. And of course, you're going to have corporately sensitive information that may not make it. But, you know, for, from the example in the article, for example, in Exhibit 25, a November 19, 2021 group discussion of the market share of Microsoft Edge, Brave and DuckDuckGo, one Googler asks, quick aside, do we want history on? Another replies, no. And a third participant says, history is on. I suggest everyone leave the room and create a new one with history off. I'm happy to punt everyone out. So they're clearly going to go and discuss things, you know, as evidence that they don't want ever to be evidence. And that in itself is dodgy. Yeah, it, none of it sounds good, does it? Oh, you're encouraging people to go onto chats where you don't have history and and they also mentioned about people being on litigation hold where basically everything's held even if you delete it it's still there in the system it just looks like they're trying to gamify the system and and i've seen this at other organizations where like, oh let's go over here and use whatsapp that isn't isn't a company platform or text or phone calls i, I don't know i don't like any of it but when you've got people writing down can we go you know history off that is very damning in itself, isn't it? Yeah, you're guilty in that instance, aren't you? And the assumption will be you are guilty as opposed to the chat may have been innocuous and the evidence of that may have helped your company out and helped you out personally. You know, as we're speaking, the Donald Trump indictment is ongoing in New York and I'm sure there'll be a lot of stuff rises out of that and has risen out of you know those kinds of conversations that were going on during the January the 6th riots. We see it ourselves with our own MPs. You know, their WhatsApp chat logs being published. The chances are somebody in that chat circle is keeping an archive of that stuff. So it's all very well saying history on, history off. 
somebody somewhere probably kept it. And if that ever comes to pass, that you went history off and then it comes out and you did something actively illegal or wrong or could be portrayed in a bad light or something negative about your customers, you're not going to do well. Yeah, and you can't stop people taking screen grabs, you know, recording it. Like now I could be recording this conversation and taking a screen grab of you. I'm not, but you know, it's, all, it's all right. I'm recording this conversation, so we're okay. <laughs> and, and we're broadcasting it. But but if we were having a sensitive conversation that we wouldn't want to ever have played back, it could be you know it could be happening. And so yeah, I find this yeah I find this looks bad. It looks bad from the outset because somebody's asked you to go into a, a chat off mode, which I'm uncomfortable with. I agree. It doesn't cast them in a good light at all. There we go. Moving on, apparently Philips Hue is going to delay matter. Is this a surprising thing? I was about to say, and another great news, and then I was like, what, what, what? No, this is awful, isn't it? Matter. Philips, I mean, Philips have done loads with HomeKit. We're out first with their light bulbs and everything, and now it's not rushing to do matter. Ah, that's all I'm going to say on that one. Yeah, the wheels have come off matter really badly, haven't they? It was took ages, announced late. When it was announced, it was a disaster. Everybody's again sort of frantically stepping back to cover what's going on. The systems we've got work. I'm sure you finally actually added, managed to add your, was it a doorbell camera or, or something that you managed to add to your system when you couldn't do it? And did you get it there? Uh, I have added it. I'm still waiting for somebody to come and fit it properly, but that should be happening while, while I'm away next week. But I have added it and, it, and the, like the technical side works. It's more the physicality piece I need doing now. Yeah, but it has just been a nightmare. I think everybody just needs a bit longer. And again, it's, it's kind of like back to the classical thing. You know, it, it wasn't meant to be that revolutionary. It was just more, but yet it seems to have taken ages, delivered late, and is very anticlimactic when it arrived. So yeah, very similar to Apple Music Classical. I've still got faith that Matt will get there. I just think we need to reset our timeline for another 18 months. Yeah, fair enough. Moving on, the Arc browser that I enjoyed so much, and although I'm back on Firefox at the moment now, has a mobile implementation of it. It's more like a sidecar thing than a fully-fledged browser, but it's just interesting to see that Arc are sort of pushing ahead and you have that facility now you know, to be able to sync those things. They, they say themselves, the Arc Companion app is amongst the purest product work we've ever shipped, zero fat. It's not a replacement for your default mobile browser yet, but it teases our dreams for the future of computing. So I'm just quite glad again to see innovation in the browser space, and I fully endorse what the Arc team are doing. Yeah, I'm wondering if they're saying not yet because they're waiting for Apple to, you know, lift lift the stronghold on using the WebKit browser engine. So I wonder where this will be in iOS 17. Now you can have the full fat version. So um, now it's good they're moving forward with it because I was a bit disappointed that it wasn't available on mobile devices. So I'm, I'm keen to see this progress. Yeah, it's good. And uh, at that point, I may go back to Arc. I only stopped using it because I quite like the syncing in Firefox. There's lots of bits about Arc that I actually miss now I'm back in Firefox. So yeah, I hope you're right. I hope Apple are going to enable different browsers on the platforms. And that I think we're all going to win in that situation. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it will be good. As long as they do it in the right way, and obviously it still remains so secure, it's, it can only be good. Yep, good. The next story I put in specially for you, because I know what a fan of Teams you are. I am, but I only use it on my iPad. And I think to be fair to Microsoft, they've made a, they've done a lot on the iPad now. Now it does picture-in-picture, picture and it's looking great. I just need now Apple to let me pick a different camera on my iPad, and then I, I will be sorted. So what, what have they done then on the Mac? It looks like they're just, from what I've seen from the screen grab on the Mac, and I've not used it on the Mac, and I've not used it on Windows, but it looks very much like the Windows version on the Mac. That's, that's what it looks like to me. 
Yeah, I mean, they say they've rewritten it. It's going to use 50% less memory and 70% less disk space. I only use Teams on my Mac. I think I have occasionally used it on my phone, but surely when I'm rushing to another meeting in the car or something like that with the audio on, not the video. And its performance is patchy, to say the least, but it works. This is a good thing. I find it an incredibly clunky Mac app. I think it's written in Electron at the moment. And I'm not that down on Electron. Slack is also written in Electron, as is 1Password. Both of those are far more agile, less feeling like you're dragging your feet in molasses-style apps than, than Teams. There are some features of Mac Teams that just drive me mental. For example, when I go to share a presentation on Teams, it will ask me to update my audio driver. If I say, sure, update the audio driver, it goes, oh no, I can't do that. But every single time it says, can you update the audio driver? Why have I got to do that with every presentation? And why won't it let me upgrade, update the damn thing? It just seems mental to me. Yeah, that is bonkers, isn't it? My wife does use it on her M1 MacBook Air, and it does always, it does seem slow and a bit clunky. Feels to me like they they obviously got it out fairly quickly, and it they've just rearchitected it in the, hopefully in the right way. So this has got to be the right thing, and I like it when people go back and go, we're not really doing much to the app other than making it quicker and faster and take up less space, like just doing all the good housekeeping because apps do get bloated over time. So yeah, it's good to see Microsoft investing in this. It's a shame they've kind of done it after the pandemic. We'd all have benefited from this a bit more like 18 months ago. Yeah, but the problem in the pandemic in 2020, Teams wasn't quite there yet. We were using a corporate space and we were being forced to move to Teams from Skype for Business, but it didn't have all the features of Skype for Business and the, the two weren't weren't quite in sync. When I still see people on Skype for Business, though, I do now feel how old and clunky it is compared to Teams. It hasn't aged terribly well at all. But had this been better at that point, organizations like ours wouldn't have gone to Slack. We would have moved to Teams because it's a free thing that came with our operating systems. We actually choose to pay for Slack because the experience is better. Yeah, see, I'm in control of our budget. I won't be paying for anything. I quite like Teams. I like it's all rolled into our Microsoft licensing. And we do our phone system there. We do our meetings there. And we do our IMing there. And now we're doing, in essence, SharePoint sites within it. So it's... It is becoming, as I've said to you last week, I think it was, you know, you could just boot people into Teams and you could you could use it as an operating system. Oh, shudder. Moving on, another story from 9to5Mac and about this is picture-in-picture potentially coming to the Apple TV. And this is clearly a sports thing. So to be clear, picture-in-picture is already supported in the Apple TV. You can have the main window up and running and you can have something smaller in the bottom right, bottom left, top left, top right, depending on where you want to place it, to have something. So the, the, the example of this is, You're watching something in YouTube and something else can pop up in the corner of the Apple TV Plus show or something that you're watching. That's technology that's feasible now. The next version of Apple TV OS, though, should be able to support up to four live video windows at the same time or four picture-in-picture windows at the same time. And that's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, so it's picture-in-picture-in-picture-in-picture. I think I got enough there. It does look pretty cool. And I wonder, actually, if this will be a new Apple TV-only feature because, obviously, they brought out a new one recently with an upgraded chip in it. So I wonder whether you'll need that or not. But, yeah, it feels like a no-brainer, to be fair to Apple. They've, they've, they've brought out some reasonable little little features as we've gone along on the 16.5 train. They had nothing really to announce when tvOS 16 came out, but we've had the karaoke mode for Apple Music. There's been a few other bits. There was accessibility bit last week where you could turn down strobe effects. And then this week we've got potential quad quad streams coming through. So, So fair play. They are making a better experience, I think, on Apple TV. Yeah, and I can. When I initially saw this story, I thought, "Well, who's going to be able to use that?" I couldn't keep track of four different sports streams at the same time. You know, American football in one, baseball in another, Formula One in the third, and soccer in the fourth. 
But it's not for that, is it? It's for the scenario you, desi- you, you were describing in Formula One, where you could switch between the driver's cameras. So you could have the race on one, you'd have one driver's camera, another one, maybe the one they were battling against for an overtake in a third, and maybe uh, you know, by the side of the car or something like that in the fourth one, and just give you that sort of immersive experience. Yeah, I would love that. Like you want one, like what what you want one that's probably like the live feed. You know, you want that that to be the main one, or what, what the comments you do, and then it'd be great to have a few onboard cameras. Same with you and the MotoGP, of maybe maybe your favourite or people that are just like you say in an interesting position, and there's a bit of overtaking, or they're going in the pits or something. And you want to want to see some cameras. So I think it's great they're doing it, and I just want them to keep doing what they're doing, just this little and often updates, please. Thank you very much. No, I agree, and that. I don't know what it's like in the Formula One side, but quite often the director of a race will focus on either the person leading, who's often miles out in front with no one behind them, and it's really dull just watching them go around and around. Whereas the really interesting battles might be seventh or eighth or something like that, you know, trying to get in, into a position for the last podium position or something like that. So the ability to have a bit more control, but keep that overview of the rest of the race in my hands, I'd find that a really compelling feature. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on this because often you miss an overtake because they're just showing you the the person at the front of the pack and it's not very exciting. So no, I, I think it's good. Like I say, let's let's see what that looks like. It's probably it's just going to be baseball to begin with, but hopefully it will filter into other apps. Yep, fair enough. Anything else in news, Chris? No, but I think this is a great segue into media because we've gone from TVOS into Apple TV Plus. We have. What's our first? So I put in the Big Door Prize. I hadn't watched this, but you, I you messaged me and said you you've watched a bit of it. And I thought you know what. I'm going to watch a bit of it. And actually, I've watched the first three because they, they've dropped the first three. And I think the fourth one comes out this week. Genuinely, really enjoyed it. I had no idea what it was about. And I, I don't think I, I don't think I'd even seen a trailer for it. I knew it had Chris O'Dowell in it, who is fantastic. He looked younger, which annoys me because he's about the same age as me. But I thought it was generally very good and quite compelling. And I don't quite know where it's going to go, but I'm really enjoying it. What's your view? Almost exactly the same. I had watched the trailer. I thought, I'll watch that because it's Chris O'Dowd. As known as Roy from the IT crowd, of course, is probably his most famous role. And he's been in Bridesmaids and other things. Irish actor. One one Marvel film as well off the top of my head. He's terrific. I think it has the Apple sheen very much in place. I have smiled at it. I have thought there's some quite interesting life observations in there. I quite like the premise. No idea where it's going particularly, but I've just enjoyed what I've seen so far. And I think I'll be quite excited for the fourth episodes when it drops on Wednesday. 100% agree with you. I think it's going to be good. I'm annoyed I'm going to be on holiday tomorrow, so I'm going to miss that. Ted Lasso and I think something else, oh, BBC Around the World. But I just think we've got, and I've put a note in here, actually, I think we've got some really good TV on at the moment. Like there's a, quite a few series that I'm into that are being released weekly. So we've got the Big Door Prize, which I will recommend. We've got Succession Series 4, and I've just watched Episode 2. Fantastic. Ted Lasso, I think we're on about Episode 3 coming out this week. Equally, it's fantastic. I'm really enjoying it. We've got Liaison, which is the French espionage piece that's going on. And then we spoke last week about BBC Race Across the World. That also comes out tomorrow. I think there's just a lot of really compelling TV, all on very different subject matters. All, I think, produced to a really high standard. You know, even this race across the world, there's the quality of cameras people have got on their body or they're being filmed with while they're doing a race. It's just a fantastic. So I think we are living in a good time. And I see you've just added the Mandalorian into. I have. So a lot of this is on a Wednesday, would be my observation. So we've got the Big Door Prize on a Wednesday. Ted Lasso, which I've now watched the first episode of, I must say. Race Across the World, which is also on a Wednesday. And The Mandalorian, all drop on the same day. All high-quality TV shows. Quite hard to 
maintain watching all those things on the same day though so i'm quite glad with the advent of streaming you can watch them where you want hopefully without spoilers but yeah it's a bit of a, a mini golden age at the moment what's going on there's lots of tv that i'm thoroughly enjoying and all the shows you've just mentioned except succession and liaison which i haven't i might have a look at but haven't yet i think are just terrific tv i recommend you try liaison obviously succession you've tried it's, it's not your bag um, i would recommend trying liaison but yeah we, we are very lucky i think Fantastic. Moving on, I watched the Tetris movie this week. Did you watch the Tetris movie this week? I did watch the Tetris movie. I watched it twice, actually, because I, I quite enjoyed it. And I thought I'd go back it, and I missed a few bits. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go back and, and watch some of it again. Because I, I actually genuinely really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, same. So I vaguely knew there was a rights issue with Tetris. I seem to remember. I think it was Spectrum Holobyte had permissions for the PC version or something, or a version of the PC thing. And I suspect it's been slightly simplified or blown up for for the TV, for the movie. But no, I really liked it. I thought the cast were fantastic. I had not realised that the Maxwells were involved in some way with, with the thing. So that was a bit of a shock when uh, Robert Maxwell popped up on the screen. Agreed with you on the Maxwell point, by the way. Yeah. And then Toby Jones was in a fairly minor part as well. And Toby Jones is always very watchable. And it was fantastic to see him in it too. Yeah, I just thought the whole thing, the cast, fantastic. Obviously, super interesting story. I knew there were some rights issues with Tetris more in more recent times, because do you remember there used to be a game on the iPhone called Tris, which was basically Tetris? And it was very good, very simple. And that got taken down because the Tetris company told them to take it down. But no, it's super interesting story. And I do get there's a bit of Hollywoodness to it, like the car chasing and what have you. But I just thought it was really well done. I love the, the intro at the start where you've got the credits going up and they've actually got an Apple... I can't remember what Mac it was. They've got an Apple of some description. Well, it was a Mac. It was the first Mac. It was Mac. a Mac. Yeah. It was the first Mac. And with the graphics on it, and I just thought that's brilliant. And I loved all the interludes where you're moving from scenes and it would say Tokyo, but they're doing it in a like an 8-bit sort of stylized version. I thought it was so cool. And they had CS at the very start. Did you see that? I did. They, they were presented at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas in in the early 80s. Yeah, I, I quite liked that too. It felt very sort of, they were leaning into the Nintendo side of things. It looked very Street Fighter-y to me, sort of moving around the world, the way the planes were flying and all the rest of it. Very, very evocative of its time. Extremely well done, I thought. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Cracking story. N- no longer than it had to be. Little bits were definitely over-glamorized, like the car chase you see, and maybe the scene in the nightclub. I, I have to wonder if that actually happened, but didn't matter. I think it told the story quite well of, of rapidly changing times in Russia. Yeah, and obviously quite an eye-opener for an American going to Russia in the 80s and not understanding like he couldn't just make an international phone call. They were reserved at government buildings and not understanding the KGB and things. Also, fantastic soundtrack for that, that era. I thought it just really captured it well. And it, while some of it is obviously true and based upon fact, obviously there is probably a little bit of artistic license. But on the whole, great bit of entertainment. Thoroughly enjoyed it. And I thought the ending was quite good because they had a had a bit of realism with a bit of pixelated art like when a car clipped a wall and things i thought that was that was quite a little blend that they did there but no i loved it yeah Just, well done yeah. I, I think apple tv plus with the exception of maybe coda which we discussed before was a good film but not a great film and this isn't a great film either but it's a decent quality film to watch on apple tv plus and there hasn't been a lot of that there's lots of good tv there's not a lot of good f- movies it's like a good direct TV film, in essence, but a really high-quality direct-to-TV film. It probably isn't great cinema quality, but I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting. Yep, I'm with you. What else have I watched this week? Well, The Mandalorian I've touched on. That story, I think, may be challenging to casual fans of The Mandalorian. I worry slightly with the direction of it. I've not seen it. So, 
I think the first season and the second season you get by because of Grogu. I don't think I'm giving any spoilers away by saying Grogu. People like how cute he is. There's a very sort of Western vibe to it, man with no name and all that kind of stuff, and it works very well. Have you seen the second season? I know, I'm halfway through the first one. I'm going to skip over a potential spoiler then, and I'll just go, this season kind of expects the viewer to have some passing familiarity with the Clone Wars cartoons. Oh, that might be a problem for me. And I don't think it's a huge problem. They've 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 handled it quite well. It's obviously one of those things that's very rewarding if you have watched seven seasons of the Clone Wars cartoons, which I haven't, but I watched a YouTube channel about a guy who sort of brought brought up to speed quite rapidly. But they've been complaining about audience figures falling off for the Mandalorian. And I just wonder if something they've lost a little bit of something within the way they've told the story. So unbeknownst to you, possibly, there was another Disney TV show called The Book of Boba Fett. And an important resolution of The Mandalorian happens in one episode of The Book of Boba Fett. Now, The Book of Boba Fett was, I won't say rubbish, but it wasn't great. So I wonder if there's even a chunk of the existing story missing for people who, d- who didn't follow that TV show as well. So I think they need to be a little bit careful, but the last episode was very good. Yeah, and this is a problem, isn't it, when you've got universes that intermingle. It's great if you've watched all of them and you get all get all the different threads of storylines but when you've only seen some of it or you're just watching say the mandalorian and you haven't gone and watched all the other bits that may interleave you may not land in the same way and that is part of the problem we do have now yep definitely and my last thing is star trek picard which is terrific and i'm loving every second of it yeah you've mentioned that one a couple of times yeah as as a next generation nerd it's ticking all the boxes i want to see from a show like that they've got the cast back bit dark like i said before but other than that it's just it's it's really good quality television actually that's cool i was just gonna segue into games briefly so after watching the, the film tetris twice i did download the tetris game on my iphone and i remember now why i deleted it and the icon's cool but the game could be so good you just kind of want just give me classic tetris please don't give me anything else but it's just full of trying to make you spend some money and just not done in a very nice way and I'm really peed off with them because all I want to do really is, can I just give you like a fiver and let me just play Tetris properly without all this rubbish in there that you've seemed to have stuffed in the game. You have to play the first two levels to unlock the store. And it's just like, why is there a store in a Tetris game? I just think they could have done a really faithful version and sell it for some money. Fine, just let the diehard people pay for it. I'd be all right with that. But i just really disappointed with it because it just feels cheap. But yeah, it's done by the Tetris holding company and it just feels like they're trying to you know say some ads and monetize it whereas i think that there is a room for a faithful version and it's probably why i quite enjoyed playing the game boy version of tetris on my switch in black and white because it was just basic tetris with out trying to do anything clever no i think that's reasonable and there's a lot of nickel and diming on the app store for one of a better word and some games do it right some games do it very well vampire survivors being an example with the most minimal advertising but you get the game and that's fine and i'd be happy to give them a bit of money for downloadable content or something like that that's bad for tetris lemmings is actually quite a faithful reintroduction of a sort of a classic game if you're looking for an ipad iphone game that has that sort of right thing for me Tetris would never work particularly well on an iPad or an iPhone because I want a controller for something like Tetris to throw around. The screen ain't going to cut it for me for the rapid decisions I need a controller in my hand to do it. So that that would have been a downside. Whereas Lemmings was a mouse-based game, so you were always whipping around the place. You could tap things and move them. And for those that haven't tried Lemmings, go and find it. It's great. Proper little puzzler. And if if it all goes wrong, you can blow them all up and, and take the world down with you and start again. For me, 
the current best implementation of Tetris is Tetris Effect, which you can get on the Xbox Series S and X and is on the PS4 5 as well for not a lot of money. And I think they actually, it's in for free in one element of the store. It's on Games Pass for the Xbox and I think it's on the expanded PlayStation trial, not the, the bog standard two games a month, but the one, one above that. And that's a terrific implementation of Tetris, although it is quite trippy. It's got the right sort of feeling for a Tetris game. The increase in speed, the way the blocks come down, sort of the, the implementation, the music. That's what you want from a Tetris game. Yeah, maybe I need to look. There's possibly one on the Switch. I kind of want to play it on a handheld console, I think. I don't think I want it on a on a big PlayStation. So I think it is on the Switch as well. So if you pay for so for Nintendo's, what is it, the 55 quid a month annual pass thing, you, you get a version of Tetris that is multiplayer as well. It's re- it's a bit Battle Royale, the one on, on, the, on the Switch. Okay, you mean £55 a year, not a month, by the way. If that's what I mean, that's what I mean. I I thought it was too much, actually, for the value I got out of the Switch, but for that game was fun. Okay, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll take a look at that then. I think that's all we've got for games. Once again, we've been appalling. I've watched a lot of TV, though, which is impressive for me. So, yeah, I'm just not there, and I'm reading a lot of books. So, you've only got so many hours in the day, and I guess I'm filling it with other media at the moment. I'm sure games will come back around. I'm sure they will. And now I've got an out of an out of work thing that's been taking a lot of my time. So I'm hoping to have a little bit more time for games in the next few weeks. Well, I'm on holiday for weeks. So there's gonna be very little gaming in my in my world. Maybe your movie watching will go up. Maybe definitely. My re- I'm hoping my reading. But anyway, should we move on to the uh, the main show? Let's move on. What have we got this week? So I just thought, why don't we cover briefly just my Mac six weeks on because. I think you asked me a few weeks into having my Mac, how am I getting on with it? What am I using it for? And I said, well, I haven't used it a huge amount because I don't use it when I'm at work. So I'm not using it nine till five, but I'm using it in the evenings, weekends. I use it to podcast with you. And I thought maybe we could just touch just briefly upon it. Yeah, for what I'm doing with it. Because I thought, thought it might be interesting for the, the wider population. So I went and bought a Mac roughly when the M2 MacBook Pros came out, but I bought an M11. It's quite well specced because I got it fairly cheap because it was being discounted because people wanted to offload stock. So anyway, I purchased from John Lewis and you get two years worth of warranty with it, which is great. It's obviously got the latest version of Mac OS on it, which I'm still getting used to system settings. I think there were one complaint. I can't find anything in that app. I know it looks more like the iPad, but I guess for the last 20 years I've been using OS 10. I and I know how that system settings worked. This one, I'm really struggling to find things. I have to use the search, which I'd never used before. I did, forgot that system preferences would have had a search. So that's probably the one, you know, OS change that I'm struggling with. The rest of it, I, I think I'm quite okay with. So I've got it set up. I use it a lot in laptop mode, just up in the house. And then I plug it in a lot to my 5K Apple Studio display down here in the shed, which is what I'm talking to you on now. And I was actually trying out the different resolutions on it. I forgot that you can obviously have the default mode, which looks nice and crisp. But then there's also the, what do they call it? The more, I'm going to get that, more space mode, which is 3,200 pixels by 1,800 pixels. Fantastic. That's a lot of pixels it's pushing around. I usually use in clamshell modes because I don't really like having the two different screen resolutions. But because you've got the more space mode, you don't really need a second screen. You can fit so many windows on at a reasonable tech size. Loving it though, but I've never heard the fans kick in, I must confess. And I'm streaming with you right now. Obviously, we're, we're doing you know webcams on it i've got various windows open we're recording it's fantastic i love the the equipment it's probably the nicest bit of tech i've ever bought i think i think it looks fantastic really well made so mac os getting on really well with it i was using it the other day though i can't remember what i searched for but i did command space and brought up the search box type something in i was like why can't it find that app 
And I realized, oh yeah, it's not my iPad. I think because the way I've started using my iPad, largely in laptop mode, and I was using the, the Mac, I'd forgotten which one I was on. My brain just had a complete moment because it was command space, search for it in the same way. And so I think I've had a bit of that where I've struggled to remember which device I'm on because Apple have blurred the lines massively in the last five years, I'm going to say, 10 years maybe, of what you can do on the iPad. Probably the last five years, since getting keyboard and mouse proper support on the iPad to where we are today. And then the obviously the Mac picking up certain things from the iPad. So I think that that's... That's interesting, probably leans into our conversation from the other week of if they make a Mac touchscreen, what is the difference going to be between iPad and macOS? I've largely gotten okay with macOS. I haven't really had any crashes or anything. I haven't done much looking after it and deleting things and tidying up after myself, but I probably need to do it at some point because I keep trying things out. But no, generally really happy with it. I've been doing some coding on it. I've actually started writing an app, which hopefully I will get to test flight at some point with you and we can talk about that, that experience. But it... I am lucky. It is a very fast Mac with lots of RAM in it. It's an M1 Max. M1 Max is the right one, isn't it? With 32 gig of RAM. So it is pretty quick. And you can have multiple versions of Xcode and simulators running. And it does... It, it, <laughs> I do like your t-shirt. Rod is wearing the t-shirt that bears the name of my computer on it. So the performance, amazing. And I'm enjoying it. And it is, I'm actually using it for what I bought it for. I want a lot more coding and start getting into that just to scratch a personal itch. So it's definitely living up, up to that. And... The way everything now syncs between the iPad and the Mac is fantastic. I could be using pages on my iPad, fire up my Mac, there it all is. And the same with literally everything I do, messages, it all just syncs, photos. So yeah, really enjoying it. Best bit, definitely the best bit of hardware. It is a little chunky and sometimes I have both my Mac and my iPad with me and you do feel the weight in your bag. I don't know how you do it because you've obviously got the even bigger MacBook than what I have. But generally, it, what is quite good actually for me, it's having a bit of separation from work. It's quite good in the evening when I use it because my iPad is my work device and my device. So it's quite nice to actually to close that one, just use my Mac, which is home only, and I don't get any work notifications. So it's quite relaxing from that, that point of view. But yeah, largely living up to expectation, probably even better than expectation, actually, to be fair. But, but I do find myself not using much other software, if, if that makes sense. Really delved into many apps in it. I've got Xcode, as we've mentioned, a few other developer pieces bit of pages and numbers on it but other than that i'm just using the standard mac OS apps like photos music i do struggle with the music app a little bit because it just feels a bit old and clunky just feels like itunes that hasn't had much love which i think is fair but no really good really good bit of kit yeah i mean i can endorse everything you say it's definitely the best laptop i've ever had and yes I, you've got the 14 inch one and i've got the 16 inch one and that was a deliberate choice on my behalf because i did a sequence of well 13-inch laptops over a period of time, be they Airs or be they uh, the original one M1 MacBook Pro that I had, which was a 13-inch one. I was finding them beautiful screens, but a bit limited. I wanted a bit more space. I figure it's, this is going to be my primary computer, and I carry it to and from work. I cycle to and from work with it in my backpack. Actually, it's what I do a lot of many days. I plug it in the screens there, and off I go. As we're podcasting, I sit there, and I've put my hand around the back of my Mac, which is in clamshell mode, and it's completely cold. There's not even a hint of heat in the thing, and that just amazes me. Recording a podcast while we're streaming video, while I have, and I'll just read out the apps I've got open. My work email, I have Outlook, Firefox, Terminal, Messages, S System Settings, Slack, 
TicTic, Zotero, which is a referencing app, Zoom, Music, Apple Remote Desktop, sorry, Microsoft Remote Desktop, Keynote, Typora, Obsidian, Word, PowerPoint, Audio Hijack Pro, and NetNewsWire, all running at the same time while we're recording this podcast. Probably too many, actually. I wonder if that might explain our little audiogram one from time to time. But that is just a stellar amount of computing that's going on while we're doing something like, like this with it. And the computer is not breaking a sweat. They are amazing computers. A hundred percent. I mean, for the techie in me, which is why I bought it, is to be a lot more technical and, and to scratch that itch. It's fantastic. I just, I love the performance of it. And you open the lid, it is like an iPad. It's literally always on. I do wish it had Face ID. It's probably the, the, the two things I'm missing predominantly are Face ID and why has it got cellular? I, I, can't, I took it with me to a hotel a few weeks ago and did a bit of coding. And I opened the lid, went to, I think I went to go to a Safari to search for something. And it was like, no, I was like, what do you mean no internet? Because I'm just not used to it. I've got so used to my iPad and open, open my iPad up and just get, getting straight on with things. And obviously I just hotspotted my phone. It was fine. But it's amazing how quickly you get used to that. So I do think that is a miss on Apple's part that they should just add so. Maybe that's what they need to do to get the, the Mac sales up back to our previous conversation and halting, halting chips. Maybe, but I think this is a deliberate choice on Apple's part. It's not like they haven't got the technology to do it. They have decided they're going to separate and differentiate the iPad and the Mac by not putting cellular modem into their Macs, which I think is a mistake because in the Steve Jobs era, it's nice to give him a bit of a reference, considering we were talking about him earlier, is that he didn't worry about one product cannibalizing the sales of another. He just wanted the product to be the best it could be. So he wasn't bothered about iPhones cannibalizing iPods because that if that was going to happen, it would happen. They still sell you one or the other in the meantime. If you're in the shop to buy one, maybe you buy the other. You get upsell to the iPhone or a bigger iPod, great, off you go. And this artificial dif- differentiation they've put between the iPad and the Mac to me, I find quite harmful to the line, because as we've both just said, best Mac we've ever had. There's all the things we want to do, but you hit a bump immediately that it hasn't got cellular. And if it's cellular, you'd probably be looking at your iPad going, I don't know that I need you, other than things for work. I, you know, I don't know that I need you. I can run Outlook in a web browser, presumably, and get my email, and I can do almost everything else that I want to do. I don't know what your corporate IT policy is, but, you know, possibly. For me, I can configure Apple Mail for it. I can use Outlook. I can use the web browser. I can do everything that you can do on an iPad on my Mac and so much more. And it stays cool. And I can carry it. And it's my primary computer. I don't need to worry about having another Mac back at the office that's got something different on it. Oh, did I leave that file there? Did it sync over? If you use Microsoft products, Microsoft OneDrive is appalling on Windows, Mac or Windows or, or iPad. Because is it syncing? Isn't it syncing? You know, has it, has, it, has it done something horribly wrong? I nearly said a swear word there. I managed to stop myself just in time. We can keep our clean tag. It, it's not a good enough client. But... On the Mac, I can quit it, I can start it again, which I have to do about once a month, and off you go again, and it's all thinking and it's happy. Taking that doubt away, it, it, it's it's a real plus point for me, is how good the Mac has got, how good the hardware has got. And I agree with everything you said, especially about the settings app, which is appalling and should never have been allowed. Yeah, the settings app needed another year in the oven to bake, because I don't know why they managed to make it so wrong. We've all used it on an iPad and an iPhone the last 10 15 years but yeah it feels so wrong on the mac i don't know it just doesn't work and i'm also just trying out now and i mentioned it to you before and i'm trying out stage manager because which i had forgotten about just because where in between the ipad and the mac it i was struggling a bit with remembering the which way to open an app or to drag it and and i was like actually why don't you just try and make them as like as possible 
because then it will be easier as I transition between the two devices. But no, I'm not, I'm not really enjoying it. I can't use the Mac for work because our policies don't allow allow it for a home computer. You're going to use an iPad. But on the whole, generally, generally enjoying it. I think it's, yeah, definitely the best device I've bought in a long, long time. It's also the most expensive device I've bought in a long time. But that was partly down to me. But it is doing the things I wanted. I am doing some development with it. I have played with some VMs, doing a bit of photo editing, which are the things I wanted it for. And I am gutted that the iPad showed a bit of promise of doing development but never really got there there was talk of doing vms on the ipad never really happened and so this is annoyingly i've had to purchase it but actually i'm quite enjoying it do you think there's any real pro-ness about the ipad well that goes back to the other week doesn't it they should have just called it the i don't know the the ipad studio using today's parlance or something that's in the middle it's more than an air but it's not got the pro i think when they first offered it up it looked like we were going that way like we're gonna yeah they've done the ipad pro surely they're going to do some pro apps and they've never delivered on that other companies have delivered pro apps but apple haven't so i think it showed the promise but now they've pushed all the pro features down to the regular ipad it's not really much that differentiates it at the moment the only reason you need a pro is because a you want a bigger screen or b you want face id or you want to plug in an external monitor they're the three real differences but you could buy an air and do nearly all of that yeah you know you can run the multiple apps on the m1 air so i think you could do almost everything on on an air that you could do on a pro and i look at my macbook pro and i've got more USB-C, and i've got an sd card and i've got an hdmi slot and i've got a better processor than you can get in the air and i can do a lot more with it and my screen is vastly better than, than what you can get in there well these days with the, with the m2 one maybe slightly less so but it is more pro and i think of myself as a, an it professional and a health informatician and all the things i think and it's branding they've got me you know it's a pro laptop for a pro user of computers works really well having said all that i could get by with an air and i, I don't think that that hard line between an air and a pro on the ipad side is as distinct as it is on the mac side and it's a little bit artificial you could do 99 percent of what you want to do you can plug in a card reader you could do you know some of the things but out of the box the proness of my laptop is more pro than the proness of my iPad. And that seems quite distinct for not that much of a price differential, whereas in the iPad Pro, is a vast price differential over the iPad Air. Uh, I'd completely agree with that. I would direct most people to get the Air because you can run multiple apps on it. It does 90% of what the Pro does. The only really reason you want the Pro is if is to drive a second display, which is what I do most days. I nearly bought the MacBook Air, actually. I was really tempted. I ran the numbers. It was... It was getting close to what the MacBook was going to cost. But what pushed me over the edge was in the end of the screen because I thought I'm going to use it quite a lot as a laptop. And it's got a super fastly superior screen because it does all the promotion, whereas the Air does. And I thought, actually, I do want to have the better product. Because what I didn't want to do was buy a laptop and then six months later sell it and buy a different one. I thought, no, I want to buy it and I want to keep it for a number of years. So that's why I've gone for the model I've gone for. But no, I think you're right. The gap between the Air and the Pro financially on the iPad line is huge and 90 percent of people should go for the air unless there's a shoe that's going to drop that's going to show us why we should buy the pro but i can't see them realizing it to be honest with you because the air's also got the m1 in it and the m1's a, a fantastic chip and then like you say the in the macbook world most people should just buy an air because it will do 90 percent what you need but if you do that a little bit more get the pro and the pro is a fantastic device yeah i agree I that think was we should, that, we, that was all I wanted to say. To no, brief, it's I, fantastic, and it's doing what I wanted. I think it's good to revisit that, and we should maybe revisit it in sort of six months if there is M3s out, and see if we feel any sort of compelling need to be buying new laptops and things. Because as it stands at the moment, 
it's going to take a really significant upgrade for me to think I need something newer or better or faster or brighter or has some feature that I, that I especially want in that chip lineup or in that hardware configuration that I don't have already. And that's that's odd place to be in in computing. You're always waiting for the faster, the longer battery life, the whatever the, the, the plum feature is that you want to pluck out. And Apple are quite good at finding those things. But I really struggle to see it at the moment. Great. I forgot to mention battery life. Wow. That's all I'm going to say. Just wow. I, I like plug it in every now and again just to top it up. But I've barely ever used it and gone, oh no, I'm, I've got 10% to go. I've got very few just around the house for it. And I just plug it in every now and again. But last time I'm using it on battery power, it's fantastic. Yep. Yeah, and I will say, shout out to USB-C, that, you know, the screens at work are at that, I plug in a dock, I drive another two external displays in it, this massive one that I'm talking to you on now, and it all just pretty much works. i got to say, you plug it in, it charges it if it needs it, it manages its own battery life, I don't worry about it. The odd time I thought, right, I'm going away on a flight or something like that, and I'll say, right, make sure you're charged. But other than that, it's, it's, an, it's a non-brainer, I don't even think about it. Nice, yeah, truly fantastic. Yeah, hats off to him. Shall we move on? Let's move on. I've got an app of the week this week. Hooray, after a couple of gaps the last few weeks. And my app of the week this week is called SQL. Link in the show notes. It's an iOS, iPadOS app. And it's just a media tracker. I have paid the subscription. It's 20 quid for a year's worth of subscription, which gives you a few extra features and things like that. But I think even in its free mode, it's pretty good going. And the idea with this is you just bash in some books, games, TV shows, movies, anything you're excited about that's upcoming. And it'll give you a countdown so when it's coming out. So, for example, Star Trek Strange New Worlds. There's a new season of that in June. I can't look at it because it's on my phone and my phone's acting as a camera at the moment. But it will tell me 34 days till this episode comes out. 33 days, 32 days, 31 days. And the rest of the season, as much as it knows about us, it'll name them and give you bios about the cast. It's just a really well thought out, well done app, which has found all the media I'm looking for so far. And is localized to the UK. So when you click on a series... It'll fire up a just watch link and it will tell you you can get this here, here, here and here or you've got to buy it or it's coming from there. And that's exactly what I want from these kinds of things. I quite often forget about Race Across the World or something that, that, that's coming out that, you know, this is a series I watched twice. Who knew there was a new season upcoming? This kind of thing will now tell me that for the future. So I'm really impressed with it. It looks quite good, actually. And you mentioned so you can track in it as well. And actually, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more interested. So that's one for me to go away and have a play with, I think. Yep, it's good. Books, games, TV shows, movies. Lots of stuff in there that you think. Oh, and audiobooks as well, if you're into audiobooks. So it's got sort of hard-coded links for all of those things, and we'll give you a countdown for them. And we'll let you rate the things you've watched as well. So I have been using a different app for that up to this point, the name of which escapes me at the moment. But this is just quite a nice way of keeping track of what you've watched too. Yeah, I like the sound of it. I might might t- take a look, because often I go into a bookshop and I see a book and think, I won't buy it now because I've got 10 books to read. I'll put it on a list, or I know something's coming out, but... I'm not very good at putting it on a list and storing it somewhere. And I, I kind of need a central place to do that. So yeah, I'm keen to do that. Also, the widget is really cool. It'll show you sort of the things you've bookmarked to, to, to be up and coming and you can tap on it and launch into the app or it'll give you a countdown to the next episode of the show that you're looking for. They've really thought well about the widgets that are, that are in there. So yep, SQL, link in the show notes. Very good. Cool. I will add it to the list. Right, thing of the week. So my thing of the week is quite dull this week. We talked about it at the top of the show. I'm going to go with the Belkin iPhone mount. Whether you've got a laptop or an iPad or an iPad or a monitor, I can seriously recommend it. It's fantastic. And it's solved my problem for for buying a camera. So for 30 odd quid, I paid for it. Can recommend they are out of stock in the UK. But I actually think it's quite a creative solution. And so is buying a whole piece of tech and should work with future iPhones, assuming they keep Mac safe. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's a very dull product to recommend, but it does what it does really well. 
So it's you know it's it's too much. It holds the camera. It's nice and steady. You get a great picture from your phone. Unsurprisingly, for a future version, we already talked about it. It could do with having the MagSafe plug built into it to charge your phone while it's on there. But other than that, I've got no complaints. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, thumbs thumbs up all round. I think. Yep, totally. I think we can call that a show. I think we're done. So thanks everybody for listening. If you want to get in contact, you can contact Rod on Mastodon. He is at G5Maniac at Mastodon.scot and I am at underscore CJP at Mastodon.social and you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Rod. <laughs>